Chapter 17 of Love Affairs of the Courts of Europe. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Simona Rusu. Love Affairs of the Courts of Europe by Thornton Hall. Chapter 17. Richelieu de Rouet. In the drama of the French court, many a fine-feathered villain struts his brief hour on the stage, dazzling eyes by his splendor, and shocking a world none too easily shocked in those days of easy morals by his profligacy. But it would be difficult among all these gilded rakes to find a match for the Duc de Richelieu, who carried his villainies through little less than a century of life. Born in 1696, when Louis the Fourteenth had still nearly twenty years of his long reign before him, Louis-François-Armand du Plessis, Duc de Richelieu, survived to hear the rumblings which heralded the French Revolution ninety-two years later, and for three-quarters of a century to be known as the most accomplished and heartless way in all France. Bearer of a great name and inheritor of the splendors and riches of his great-uncle, the cardinal, who was Louis the Twelfth's right-hand man, and in his day the most powerful subject in Europe, the duke was born with a football of fortune at his feet, and probably no man who has ever lived so shamefully prostituted such magnificent opportunities and gifts. As a boy, still in his teens, he had begun to play the role of Don Juan at the court of the child king Louis the Fifteenth the most beautiful women of the court we are told went crazy over the handsome boy who bore the most splendid name in france and thus early his head was turned by flatteries and attentions which followed him almost to the grave the young duchesse de bourgogne the king's mother made love to him to the scandal of the court and from princesses of the blood royal to the humblest serving-maid there was scarcely a woman at court who would not have given her eyes for a smile from the duc de fronsac as he was then known how he revelled in his conquests he makes abundantly clear in the memoirs he left behind him surely the most scandalous ever written in which he recounts his love affairs in long sequence with a cold-blooded heartlessness which shocks the reader to-day so long after lover and victims have been dust he revels in describing the artifices by which he got the most unsaleable of women into his power such as the young and beautiful madame michelin whose religious scruples proved such a frail barrier against the assaults of the young lothario he chuckles with a diabolical pride as he tells us how he played off one mistress against another how he made one liaison pave the way to its successor and how he abandoned each in turn when it had served its purpose and betrayed one after another the women who had trusted to his nebulous sense of honour a profligate so tempted as the duc de richelieu was from his earliest years one can understand however much we may condemn but for the man who conducted his love affairs with such heartlessness and dishonour no language has words of execration and contempt to describe him from his earliest youth there was no game too high for our don juan to fly at long before he had reached manhood he counted his lady loves by the score and among them were at least three royal princesses mademoiselle de charolais and two of the regent's own daughters the duchesse de berry and mademoiselle de valois later duchess of modena who in their jealousy were ready to tear each other's eyes out for love of the duke quarrels between the rival ladies were of everyday occurrence and even duels were by no means unknown when for instance the duke wearied of the lovely madame de polignac this lady was so inflamed by hatred of her successor in his affections the marquise de nesle 
that she challenged her to a duel to the death in the Bois de Boulogne, when Madame de Polignac, after a fierce exchange of shots, saw her rival stretched at her feet, she turned furiously on the wounded woman. Go, she shrieked, I will teach you to walk in the footsteps of a woman like me. If I had a traitor here, I would blow his brains out. Whereupon Madame Nonestre, fainting as she was from loss of blood, retorted that her love was worthy, that even more noble blood than hers should be shed for him he is she said to the few onlookers who had hurried to the scene on hearing the shots the most amiable seigneur of the court i am ready to shed for him the last drop of blood in my veins all these ladies try to catch him but i hope that the proofs i have given of my devotion will win him for myself without sharing with any one why should i hide his name he is the duc de richelieu yes the duc de richelieu the eldest son of venus and mars such was the devotion which this heartless profligate won from some of the most beautiful and highly placed ladies of france what was the secret of the spell he cast over them it is difficult to say it is true that he was a handsome man as his portraits show but there were men quite as handsome at the french court he was courtly and accomplished but he had many rivals as clever and as skilled in the courtly arts as himself his power must one thinks have lain in that strange magnetism which women seem so powerless to resist in men and which outweighs all graces of mind and physical perfections the duke's career however was not one unbroken dallying with love thrice at least he was sent to cool his ardour within the walls of the bastille on one occasion as the result of a duel with the comte de gasset his lady-loves were desolate at the cruel fate which had overtaken their idol they fell on their knees at the regent's feet and with tears streaming down their pretty cheeks pleaded for his freedom two of the royal princesses both disguised as sisters of charity visited the prisoner daily in his dungeon carrying with them delicacies to tempt his appetite and consolation to cheer his captivity in vain did duke and comte both declare that they had never fought a duel and when in the absence of proof the regent insisted that their bodies should be examined for the convicting wounds the impish richelieu came triumphantly through the ordeal as the result of having his wounds covered with pink taffeta and skilfully painted it was a more serious matter than sent him again to the bastille in seventeen eighteen false to his country as to the victims of his fascinations he had been plotting with spain france's bitterest enemy for the seizure of the regent and the carrying him off across the pyrenees and certain incriminating letters sent to him by cardinal alberoni had been intercepted and were in the regent's hands the regent's daughter mademoiselle de valois warned her lover of his danger but too late before he could escape he was arrested and with an escort of archers was safely lodged in the bastille our lothario was now indeed in a parlous plight lodged in the deepest and most loathsome dungeon of the bastille a dungeon so damp that within a few hours his clothes were saturated without even a chair to sit on or a bed to lie on with legions of hungry rats for company he was now face to face with almost certain death the regent whose love affairs he had thwarted a score of times and who thus had no reason to love the profligate duke vowed that his head should pay the price of his treason once more the court ladies were reduced to hysterics and despair and forgot their jealousies in a common appeal to the regent for clemency 
mademoiselle de valois was driven to distraction and when tears and pleadings failed to soften her father's heart she declared in the hearing of the court that she would commit suicide unless her lover was restored to liberty in company with her rival mademoiselle de charolais she visited the dungeon in the dark night hours taking flint and steel candles and bonbons to weep with the captive she squandered two hundred thousand livres in attempts to bribe his guards but all to no purpose and it was not until after six months of durance that the regent at last yielded moved partly by his daughter's tears and threats and partly by the pleadings of the cardinal archbishop of paris and the prisoner was released on condition that the cardinal and the duchesse de richelieu would be responsible for his custody and good behaviour a few days later we find the irresponsible richelieu climbing over the garden walls of his new prison at conflans racing through the darkness to paris behind swift horses and making love to the regent's own mistresses and his daughter but such facilities for dalliance with the regent's daughter were soon to be brought to an end mademoiselle de valois in order to ensure her lover's freedom had at last consented to accept the hand of the duke of modena an allegiance which she had long fought against and before the duke had been a free man again many weeks she paid this part of his ransom by going into exile and to an odious wedding life in a far corner of italy much it may be imagined to the regent's relief for his daughters and their love affairs were ever a thorn in his side it was not long however before the new duchess of modena began to sigh for her distant lover and to bombard him with letters begging him to come to her i cannot live without your love she wrote come to me only come in disguise so that no one can recognize you this was indeed an adventure after the lotario's duke heart an adventure with love as its reward and danger as its spur and thus it was that a few weeks after the duchess had sent her invitation two travel-stained peddlers with packs on their backs entered the city of modena to find customers for their books and pamphlets at the small hostelry whose hospitality they sought the hawkers gave their names as gasparini and romano names which masked their identities of the knight-errant duke and his friend la fosse respectively the following morning behold the itinerant hawkers in the palace grounds their wares spread out to tempt the court ladies on their way to mass when the duchess herself passed their way and deigned to stop to converse graciously with the strangers to her inquiries they answered that they came from piedmont and their curious jargon on french and italian lent support to the story after inspecting their wares she asked for a certain book alas madame gasparini answered i have not a copy here but i have one at my inn and bidding him bring the volume to her at the palace the great lady resumed her devout journey to mass a few hours later gasparini presented himself at the palace with the required volume and was ushered into the august presence of the duchess a moment later on the closing of the door the royal lady was in the hawker's arms her own flung around his neck and with tears of joy she welcomed the lover who had come to her in such strange guise and at such risk a few stolen moments of happiness was all the lovers dared now to allow themselves the duke of modena was in the palace and the situation was full of danger but on the morrow he was going away on a hunting expedition and then well then they might meet without fear 
on the following day the coast now clear behold our hawker once more at the palace door with a bundle of books under his arm for the inspection of her highness and being ushered into the duchess's reading-room full of souvenirs of the happy days they had spent together in distant paris and versailles among them most prized of all was a lock of his own hair enshrined on a small altar and surmounted by a crown of interlocked hearts this lock the duchess told him she had kissed and wept over every day since they had parted each day now brought its hours of blissful meeting so seemingly short that the princess would throw her arms around her hawker's neck and implore him to stay a little longer one day however he tarried too long the duke returned unexpectedly from his hunting and before the lovers could part he had entered the room just in time to see the peddler bowing humbly in farewell to his duchess and to hear him assure her that he would call again with the further books she wished to see certainly it was a strange spectacle to greet the eyes of a home-coming duke that of his lady closeted with a shabby peddler of books but at least there was nothing suspicious in it and getting into conversation with the hawker the duke found him quite an entertaining fellow full of news of what was going on in the world outside his small duchy in his curious jargon of french and italian gasparini had much to tell his highness apart from book talk he entertained him with the latest scandals of the french court with gossip about well-known personages from the regent to dubois and what about the rascal the duc de richelieu asked the great man what tricks has he been up to lately oh answered gasparini with a wink at the duchess who was crimson with suppressed laughter he is one of my best customers ah monsieur le duc he is a gay dog i hear that all the women at the court are madly in love with him that the princesses adore him and that he is driving all the husbands to distraction is it as bad as that asked the duke with a laugh he is a more dangerous fellow even than i thought and what is his latest game oh answered the hawker i am told that he has made a wagger that he will come to modena in spite of you and i shouldn't be at all surprised if he does as for that said the duke with a chuckle i am not afraid i defy him to his worst and i am willing to wagger that i shall be a match for him however he added you are an entertaining fellow so come and see me again whenever you please and thus by the wish of the duchess's husband himself the ducal hawker became a daily visitor at the palace entertaining his highness with his chatter and when his back was turned making love to his wife and joining her in shrieks of laughter at his easy gullibility thus many happy weeks passed gasparini the peddler selling few volumes but reaping a rich harvest of stolen pleasure and revelling in an adventure which added such a new zest to a life seated with more humdrum love-making but even the duchess's charms began to pall the ladies he had left so disconsolate in paris were inundating him with letters begging him to return to them letters all forwarded to him from his chateau at richelieu where he was supposed to be in retreat the lure was too strong for him and taking leave of the duchess in floods of tears he returned to see his beloved paris to fresh conquests and thus it was with the gay duke until the century that followed that of his birth was drawing to its close until its sun was beginning to set in the blood of that revolution which if he had lived but one year longer would surely have claimed him as one of its first victims three wives he led to the altar the last one he had passed into the eighties but no marital duty was allowed to interfere with the amours which filled his life and to the last 
no pity ever gave a pang to the conscience which allowed him to pick and fling away his flowers at will and to trample one after another on the hearts that yielded to his love and trusted to his honour chapter seventeen